Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. Today is Thursday, April 8th, 2021. On this day in 1899, the infamous British serial killer John Christie was born. In his life of crime, Christie murdered at least seven people, including his own wife. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of this man's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the birth of John Reginald Halliday Christie. Let's go back to the small town of North Orham in West Yorkshire, England on April 8, 1899. John Reginald Halliday Christie was the sixth of seven children born to Ernest and Mary Hannah Christie. He was frequently punished, as were all of his siblings, by their authoritarian father and erratic mother. An unpopular child, Christie mostly kept to himself. He devoted his time to school and studying his favorite subject, mathematics. Known to his family as Reg, Christie left school at 15 when he was called to serve during World War I. By the time of his deployment in 1917, Christie had acquired several other nicknames, mostly to do with his reputation for impotence. No doubt the opportunity to leave the torment of his hometown behind was thrilling to Can't Do It Christie. In the British Army, Christie worked as a signalman until he was badly hurt during a mustard gas attack. After spending a month recuperating in a French hospital, Christie claimed he was still unable to see properly and was sent home. Christie dealt with illness anxiety disorder, formerly known as hypochondria, all his life. But the gas attack spurred a new onslaught of bodily fears and spectral ailments. He claimed to be partially mute and blind for three years following the attack. Many have argued that these lingering handicaps were psychosomatic, if not completely falsified. The root cause of Christie's inability to speak or see has often been attributed to a personality disorder that often found him lying to garner sympathy usually from women. One woman in particular, it seems. On May 10, 1920, Christie married Ethel Simpson, a woman from his hometown. But his difficulty performing sexually persisted. Christie continued hiring sex workers as a married man, a habit he had taken up during his stint in the army. After four years of marriage, riddled with infidelity, the couple separated. Ethel moved in with her siblings in Sheffield, and in 1923, 24-year-old Christie moved to London, finding work as a postman. 
But living in the big city didn't do much to curb Christie's devious impulses. He spent the next decade in and out of jail, first for stealing mail and then for violent behavior, car theft and assault. At age 29, he spent nine months in prison for theft before moving in with a sex worker who he was courting. Within six months, he returned to prison for assaulting her. In 1933, released once more from prison, Christie convinced his estranged wife, Ethel, to move to London to live with him. Christie continued exercising his more violent impulses on sex workers over the next several years, but a much darker impulse was already brewing inside his twisted mind, one which he would not be able to control for much longer. Coming up, John Christie develops a taste for necrophilia. Hi, it's Carter from Parcast Network. The Vatican is one of the most recognizable religious sites in the world, but it's also a powerful institution, its unique history full of secrecy. This Easter, my show Conspiracy Theories looks deep into the church's past to uncover how it became what it is today. Starting April 5th, our new four-part miniseries, Mysteries of the Vatican, dives in to examine some of the most prominent conspiracy theories surrounding this mysterious organization. From the church's sordid rise to power, to prophetic visions, and even assassination attempts. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories, to hear Mysteries of the Vatican. New episodes air every Monday and Wednesday, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. On April 8, 1899, John Christie was born to humble Yorkshire parents, Ernest and Mary Hannah. They had no idea at the time that their son would come to be known as one of England's most predatory and dangerous serial killers. Christie's career as a killer began in 1943 when he was 44. The postman was having an extramarital affair with a young Austrian woman named Ruth First, who died when John Christie impulsively strangled her during sex. Panicked but enthralled by the surge of power and control he felt in the act, Christie buried Ruth's body in the communal garden behind his apartment building, number 10 Rillington Place. Christie was hooked, and it seemed he had gotten away with the crime. It didn't take long for the sadistic postal worker to strike again. On November 8, 1944, he invited his 32-year-old neighbor, Muriel Edie, into his home under the pretense of curing her chest cold. Christie claimed to have a special inhaler that would help ease her chronic pain, but the device contained carbon monoxide, which knocked Edie unconscious almost instantly. Christie strangled and raped his neighbor, who died at some point during the encounter. He buried her body next to Ruth's in the dead of night. But Christie's most horrendous crimes were yet to come. In November of 1948, another neighbor, 
Beryl Evans was fooled by the seemingly kindly postman. Beryl and her husband were poor and could barely support their infant daughter, Geraldine. When Beryl discovered she was expecting another child, she worried she wouldn't be able to support it. Abortion was illegal in the UK at the time, but John Christie offered up his services, claiming to have access to the pills she required. Once alone with Christie, Beryl was strangled, raped, and killed in the same fashion as Ruth and Muriel. Christie convinced Beryl's husband, Timothy, that Beryl had died as a result of her own botched attempts at abortion. And the distraught man helped Christie hide the body in the wash house behind the building. Christie offered to take Timothy's infant daughter off the grieving husband's hands, promising he had a young couple in mind that would give baby Geraldine a good home. However, after she was handed over to Christie, the child was never seen alive again. Several weeks later, Beryl's family grew worried about their missing daughter. Timothy was unable to keep her death a secret and on November 30th, went to the police. Timothy Evans was charged for the death of his wife and infant daughter, who were both found dead in the wash house behind Rillington Place. John Christie was questioned, but presented a convincing case to the police that implicated only Timothy. The shattered widower went to trial on January 11, 1950. His inconsistent testimony convinced the jury of his guilt, and he was hanged for murder on March 9, 1950. Following Timothy Evans' death, John Christie's illness anxiety intensified. His erratic mood swings led to his termination as a postal worker, and he never regained steady employment afterwards. But his violent outbursts were far from over. In mid-December of 1952, Ethel Christie went missing. John told their neighbors she'd gone back to Sheffield, but Ethel's relatives were told a different story entirely, that she had fallen ill and was too weak to visit or communicate. Around this time, Christie's neighbors began noting a pungent, sickly odor emanating from his apartment. The smell, combined with the mounting inquiry regarding Ethel Christie, led John to suddenly move out of his apartment at Rillington Place in 1953. While renovating the deserted unit, the landlord discovered a slew of bodies, including Ethel's, hidden under the apartment's floorboards and in the cupboard. In addition to Ethel Christie, Ruth First and Muriel Eadie, 26-year-old Kathleen Maloney, and 26-year-old Hectorina McLennan were also amongst the dead. Christie was discovered on the run 10 days after the discovery of the bodies on March 31, 1953. He stood trial on June 22nd and was found guilty of multiple counts of murder within two hours of jury deliberation. John Christie was sentenced to death and hanged in London on July 15, 1953. Following his death, further investigations revealed he was also guilty of murdering Beryl and Geraldine Evans. 
Timothy Evans was granted a posthumous pardon in 1966. It was too late to undo his horrific punishment, but at least his family could rest easy knowing their loved one wasn't a killer. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories like this one, check out the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Katie Burris, with writing assistance by Alex Benedon, and fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Vanessa Richardson